Star Wars 7x7 episode 1219. Today, my interview with Daniel Jones, the founder of the Church of Jediism and the author of the soon-to-be-released Become the Force, Nine Lessons on How to Live as a Jediist Master. Punch it, Chewie. Hey there, this is Tim McMahon, Alan's co-host from the Expanded Comicverse podcast. But hey, you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, a daily Star Wars podcast, seven minutes a day, seven days a week. How awesome is that? Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod. And this interview happened a couple of weeks ago, but I've been hanging on to it because the book Become the Force is coming out this coming week. And so I figured it would be a nice place to have as a longer conversation over the weekend. Here is the official biography on Daniel. It says here that he's a philosopher, scientist, and musician. In 2007, he became world famous when he founded the Church of Jediism at the age of 21. Since then, he's appeared in many national newspapers and Time magazine, been interviewed by the BBC, Good Morning America, ITN, and numerous other TV and radio stations. In the past 10 years, the church has invited thousands of new members to join every year and follow the teachings of Jediism. Daniel also has a degree in chemistry from the University of Bangor in Wales and is a member of the pop-punk band Straight Jacket Legends, whose debut album charted in Japan. And he also runs the Aspie World YouTube channel, having been diagnosed with Asperger's in 2013. And after a period of inactivity due to his many commitments and coming to terms with his diagnosis, the Church of Jediism reactivated in 2017 to help all who join become the force for love, compassion, and peace for Jediists to become the positive change they want to see in the world. And that forms a large part of the conversation I have, including the history of Jediism, dating all the way back to the Jedi census phenomenon when hundreds of thousands of people marked Jedi as their choice of religion on census forms in the UK. And we're going to talk about the basic tenets of the Church of Jediism, as well as what the plans are now that it's hit its 10th anniversary. A lot more stuff, too, and a little bit of fun here and there, including what the founder of the Church of Jediism thinks when he hears Luke say in a trailer for The Last Jedi, it's time for the Jedi to end. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Daniel M. Jones, founder of the Church of Jediism and author of the upcoming Become the Force, Nine Lessons on How to Live as a Jediist Master. Daniel Jones, founder of the Church of Jediism and the author of Become the Force, Nine Lessons on How to Live as a Jediist Master. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. Hey, how's it going? Very well, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, I'm really, really good. Very busy right now, but I'm very good, thank you. Well, yeah, congratulations on your 10th anniversary, I would say. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, 10, 10 years, wow. What an achievement. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah. It and, has been fun at times. And we'll talk about what's been going on, or actually what you have going on now that uh, you've hit your 10th anniversary mark with the church. But I would like to go back, if I could, and go back beyond uh, 2007 when the church began to 2001. And in the run-up to the podcast, I explained for the audience uh, the deal with the Jedi census phenomenon. So yeah. they'll take that as a given. But from your perspective, what do you think drove that 2001 phenomenon? I, you know, there's, there's a few things, I guess. I think it was, there was a lot of things. I mean, rebellion against the, oh, pardon the pun, but rebellion against the, um, the system, if you like, because you know, we're forced to give data, you know, we used to when the census were around and then we had to give this data. And I guess I know why they did it, but a lot of people were annoyed at it. And then it was like, it, there was statues on it. So you couldn't put down like 
you know, you have to be, you have to fit the boxes that were on those forms. And I think people just said, yeah, enough's enough. Let's do something amazing and let's just change it. So that was one side of it. And then the other side of it was people who had been living their lives in a way, philosophically, like they'd be Jedi. And then they were like, like what now's the time for us to shine because we're going to have all this, you know, fun side of it backing uh, real side of it. So I think, you, you, you know, you had a lot of people doing it as a joke, a lot of people doing it seriously, um, and then a lot of people just wanted to rebel because, you know, we're all rebels at heart. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you were 15 at the time, I would say, is that right? Uh, roughly about that, yeah about, yeah, about 14 or 15. I remember doing it, and I remember being a part of the phenomenon, yeah. Did you actually have to fill out a census yourself at that age? Uh, my parents, no, I, well, I don't do it, so, so it's per household, so whoever is in charge of your household, so my parents did it, so I did ask them to do it, and my brother did it as well, so oh, and he was, he, we were both living in the same house at the same, that, that time, so. You convinced cool. them to declare your household as a Jedi household? Yes, indeed. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, what then, it's, you know, 2001 when the census phenomenon is happening, so what, transpired between 2001 and 2007 to ultimately make you decide I've got to do something more with this I'm actually going to create a church around it um god it was a it's a very interesting one I mean so I've been I mean I, I study all kinds of stuff so uh, and the reason I, I get obsessive with things because I got Asperger's syndrome it makes me like super focused on, on obsessed on things and I find like super detail very interesting so I was like obsessing over different types of things I was looking at alien research you know and it led me on to like the you know the mystery schools and then on to philosophy and um spirituality because they all kind of interlock at, at a certain point and um and then I just kind of studied all this stuff and I was like wow you could really live as a person doing a certain lifestyle and, and like, or, or a certain attitude towards life and open communication between the universe. And then that would be like, you would be in the Jedi in the, in the Star Wars universe. And I thought, oh, this is cool. So then I, I set about compiling, um, all my research together just as a, as a guide to figure out what a person with that ability would be like. And then I put together a bunch of kind of like ideas and stuff and made a website. And it was, it was kind of like, I'd seen, I don't know, maybe four or five people on the internet doing something similar. There was a bunch of little websites um, who weren't very big, weren't, very, weren't doing anything very structured, um, talking about the same thing. So I thought, wow, what if, we, what if we make it like a proper professional, let's do it, clean, neat, tidy, organized version? And that's what I did. And, and, and that's how it led to it, you see. But it was just, it was, I, don't know what, I don't know what really led me to say, like, right now is the time we should do it. You know, it was just kind of the thing that evolved from the ideas that I'd been thinking about as, as my research evolved. And I think it's really fascinating, too, because in a way, it parallels the development of Star Wars itself, because, of course, George Lucas drew deeply on the works of Joseph Campbell in creating the mythology for the Star Wars universe, and Joseph Campbell himself was a comparative mythologist, and he was looking at lots of different world religions and cultures and spiritualities and figuring out what some of those uh, commonalities were between them and mm -hmm. writing books about these things. And it sounds like you've done something sort of similar in looking at a lot of different sciences and a lot of different uh, philosophies and religions and taking things from these different elements and combining them into one philosophy, if you will. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there. And I think the difference between myself and, and, and uh, Campbell is like, you know, he... A lot of the a lot of the old ancient religions or the esoteric kind of uh, philosophies they're they're shrouded in uh, complications, you know. Um, so like Buddhism, for instance, you'd be 
you know, you'd have to take a degree in the bloody thing to understand what's going on because you've got to like, there's the eightfold path and then you've got different n nomenclature for the different things and they're all Indian words. And this this confused the heck out of somebody. So somebody is like a millennial like myself and they go, right, I'm an average Joe, but I want to do something amazing in my life. I want to beam like the sun and communicate with the universe to feel happier and more alive. I mean, do you really think they're going to sit down and have to study this thing for hours and hours on end? And at the end of it, they're probably thinking, God, I'm so tired with it all. I don't know what to do. So I decided to make what, you know, like the idiot's guide to, <laughs> to, to, to spirituality, really. And, and that's what it is. It's a very, it's stripped down because you don't need to say loads to get a point across. And you don't need to have so much complex nonsense to, to get your, um, to get your point to, to, to succession. So I think, you know, what I've done is, is, is quite interesting in the way that it's, it will, um, entertain and, and interest young people, millennials into spirituality without all that extra garbage, you know, that, that people can't sift through to, to, to just do something good. You know, at the end of it, you read this, this huge book, it's like 18 million pages long. And then at the end of it, it says, Oh yeah, just go out and be a nice person. You think, Oh, you could have told me that at the beginning of the book. So, you know, so it's kind of sifting through all that rubbish. So, right. So knowing that the the general gist of things is to kind of expound upon the depiction of the Jedi in the Star Wars movies. Can you talk about what the idea of Jediism is or what some of the big ideas of Jediism are? Yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, in the Star Wars universe, the Jedi are peacekeepers of the galaxy, and that's exactly what we all need to be. We need to be peacekeepers. We need to be, uh, you know, small ambassadors of peace wherever we are. So we need to be the, the person who's centered around being the most rational calm and um and and, and uh, like philosophical in, in your approach towards life <coughs> excuse me and this also um you know again the jedi um communicate with the universe and they have a uh, a connection to the universal life force energy obviously in the force in in the star wars universe and this idea is is not a far stretch by all means you know it's it's just a it's a, a an open door to to talk to the universe, and everybody has the ability to talk to the universe and feel that communication and feel that energy flow. So the bigger goals is to is to have that connection uh, as a cable between you and the universe, so you you know where you are and you know who you are. So because the Jedi know exactly who they are and where they are, so they say you know that's how they can use the Force and that's how they do all the Force lightning and that's how they can you can meditate things and see uh, they can predict things and use intuition and it's all these kind of like mystical parapsychological um things that uh that the jedi do is what we're applying to real life because most of it is real life okay i suppose lightsabers are a bit kind of far-fetched and so jumping far. extremely high so far yeah i do have something very similar though but we're not going to that but um <laughs> but jumping extremely high uh you know it's kind of like okay maybe not right now or levitating objects but then again you know i I do know some people who document evidence of people levitating objects, and I trust these people very, very well, and I have no reason to doubt them, uh, and they've got video evidence of it. So there, there's there's a lot of crazy mystery stuff going on, but again, um, it's teaching you, you have to start at the bottom. To, to, in order to do all those crazy things, they're the people who are really in connection with the universe. But, you know, if you're an average Joe who never done anything spiritual before, the tenets of Jediism is to get you to square one, so go, okay, now I'm, I'm enlightened, now I get it, now I understand it. I know I understand what I'm doing here, where I am in the universe, and what I'm going to do with life. And then, then you can develop on that. And it's kind of like a self-development program as well. So you, like the book starts you off, but then there's this exploration that you have to take that initiative to do it. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like this is a really crude example, but it's like saying to somebody, right, 
you know, you've had a, your life's a mess, so we're going to put you on a plane, take you to Australia, and then you're going to go on your walkabout and you're going to discover yourself. <laughs> so Jediism is that we are the we are the people telling you to get on the plane, go there, pack your backpack, get your clothes ready, tell you what to do, and then you go there, and it's you who 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 creates the self discovery with the tools that we've given you. So it's kind of it's like that, and that's a crude metaphor, but that's similar to what it is. And it's also, I guess, similar in a way to the idea of in The Empire Strikes Back when Yoda sends Luke into the tree and he Luke's wanting to know what's in there and Yoda says something to the effect of only what you take with you. It's that same kind of mm-hmm. idea that the stuff in your head is really what it's all about and you can't explain very well what kind of journey you can take people on because ultimately a lot of it is in their own minds and it's what they're going to bring to their lives and to the events and interactions that they have with people wherever they are. Yeah, no, and that's right. It's because we are all connected and we're all part of the same thing. You know, we're all, we're, we're all very much connected, but we are all individual. And so someone's experience of something is far great, uh, greatly different than, than mine. And, and we have to um, kind of celebrate that in a way to say, well, however, however they find themselves in the universe is going to be amazing, but they just, they just need to kind of get on it and do it. You know, that's the, that's the kind of tenets of what we're trying to teach here. So in calling uh, Jediism and referring to it as the church of Jediism, do you have any hesitation over that because of the word church? And I'm, I'm picking on that one just because when you look back at the census phenomenon, you know, the idea of church sort of represents a very entrenched type of religious organization and using that word i don't know it can be freighted for some people i guess is what i'm ultimately trying to get at um do you have any um concern about depicting it that way or do you think that it has a broader meaning and it's able to be absorbed in a different way well you know i think like anything i do (laughs) highly controversial (laughs) you know i think um yeah the reason I chose the word church to do it is because I, I could have chosen like temple or congregation or Jedi secret school or Jedi mystery school or life development of an internal consciousness or whatever. You know, you could have called all kinds of stuff. But there's two reasons why I didn't do that. One reason is because there's far too many of those other kind of named organizations and those other groups and they don't go anywhere. They, mm-hmm. nobody, nobody sits up and pays attention to those because the name is like that. So when I said this is a church, bang, you know, instantly everyone's like, wow, this is crazy, I have to listen. And it's it's a way of connecting the dots. You have to play the media at their own game in a way and have to play people's um, lack of um, uh, uh, attention in the same way. And that's not me telling it, saying everyone's bad at attention and everyone's an idiot. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm trying to say is that people react in a certain way to certain things and it was a way to grab people's attention and imagination. And the other reason... Is because church used to be used as a, um, a congregation uh, or, or place of worship for God, um, for in a Christian sense, or a, or a, or a, um, like a, an old uh, old school kind of religious sense. But since then, it moved away from that, and it's become a just a congregation of people. Um, so church actually means congregation of people now. Um, and so I thought, wow, you know, we've got this stigma with the word church that has to be a Christian-based environment, but that is completely bogus. It never has to be. So I thought. Why don't we just take that principle and apply it to what we're doing so people can reevaluate and, and repossess that word in a way that's comfortable so we're not all scared, you know, of the word church. And again, it's a, you know, it works, there's killing two birds with one stone. We, re- we reuse the word and recycle it to where it should be, and then we uh, grab people's attention at the same time. And I don't think it's an insult at this point to say, although 
I do understand why anyone would want to make sure that they don't present it this way. But to talk about attention spans being so short and having to grab people's attention spans, I mean, social media has certainly reduced many people's attention spans to, oh gosh, I think I heard the statistic um, to the effect that our attention spans are seven seconds long now on average, and the goldfish is eight seconds long, so we're actually worse than goldfish now as a people, <laughs> which is really awful, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but it does become something very powerful potentially to catch people's attention. I like the idea of recycling it and redefining it for a new generation. I think that becomes really powerful. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. And that's the idea of what I'm doing with things. Like I did a, I do talks, obviously I'm invited to talk at events with what I do with because with it's so bizarre and people want to know about it. And one of the things I say is like, I always do this, I always lecture people on creativity because I feel like we're at such a loss with things. And in everything that I do, I have to kind of practice what I preach in a sense. And and with the reinvention of the word or re repossession of the word and the recycling of the word to make it more exciting and more and more neutralized or normalized, I, um, I, I, I always preach the same thing. So I say to people like, um, you know, creativity is amazing thing. I mean, you look at the Golden Gate Bridge in in, uh, in um, San Francisco. I mean, this thing was. They told them they would never build it. You know, that it was impossible to build a bridge across the gap so big, the Golden Gate Gap. And then they they built this bridge, and it was like, okay, easy peasy, done. You know, problem done. And I said, a guy, not, not a superhuman, not an alien, not a magical being from another universe, and, not, and it wasn't just magic. It was a, a guy just like you or me who sat down and said, how can I do this? And he put his mind to it, and he was able to create something amazing. And I think. People forget how amazing they can be. And then they get into this nine to five slug where they're like, oh, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to come home with the kids, and I'm going to eat things. And then they eventually die or, or they're on the deathbed. They think, Jesus, where the hell did my life go? Like, what am I doing with myself? And then they, and then they, I say, well, how, you know, did you, were you creative? No, not really. God damn it. You know, you, we are infinite creativity. That's all we are. We are raw creativity because without it, we wouldn't have anything. And, and people forget it because we've been taught over you know thousands of years that select people are allowed that exclusive ability to be creative when in actual fact it's it's nonsense you know that so that the and you can see it now the distance people look up to celebrities and all like they're gods and you're thinking no these people are just people man you know that they're just people who do something quite creative and then they have respect for that creativity everybody has that same ability so it's something that i teach all the time and again with the word it's a way of saying even in the movement even in the nomenclature of the movement we are moving it forward with a sense of uh, redefinition and creativity at the same time. And ultimately, we're all creative beings because of one basic fact, which is that we essentially create our own reality. We decide whether we're going to apply an you know, optimistic filter, a pessimistic filter, just to be very simplistic about the, mm -hmm. you know, the idea. So we are ultimately creative beings in that regard. Everyone is, regardless of their background, their you know, national origin, their religion, their uh, socioeconomic status, anything like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, Bill Hicks, um, great comedian, he said it great once in his stand-up. He said, life is only a dream. Um, there's no such thing as death. Sorry, no such thing as death. Death. Life is only a dream and we're the imagination of ourselves. And he couldn't have got more perfect. You know, he that is exactly what it is. You know, we, we are the imagination of ourselves. And the Buddha said it, and, and I didn't realize it until, in, in, until ages after I heard this quote. And the Buddha was saying about how everyone says, you know, if you think about the universe, you think, wow, how important everything is. You know, the, the distance we have from the sun, the, the type of water vapor we've had, um, you know, the, the heat of the planet, the, the, the spin of the gravitational pull and all this kind of stuff uh, lends itself to being a perfect condition for life. And we go, wow, how how important is everything to make us just go bleep, 
and appear here. And, and then you kind of feel a bit like, oh, well, I'm unimportant because all that other stuff has to be there to be important. And then you're just there as a product of the importance. But then the, the Buddha says, well, forget all that. The important part is, is you are just as important to that environment as it is to you. And, and, and you think, why is that? And he said, because when you close your eyes and go to sleep at night, the entire universe goes to sleep with you. And I, I couldn't get my head around it for ages, but it's absolutely right. You know, you only know you exist, I think, therefore I am, because you're awake and you're consciously aware that you are awake. So you are creating that environment, regardless of what anybody else says. All you know is what you know through yourself and your your stimuli through your senses. So you do create every single thing around you. And that is, that's just phenomenal. Yeah, that's a very, I think that, it's a concept I think I first encountered via Eckhart Tolle and the power of now, the idea mm -hmm. that, you know, there is, you can really realize that you have a separate consciousness when you think about, oh, you know, what voice is it that just told me to, you know, told me to get up out of bed? Like you can realize the separateness of mm -hmm. that consciousness inside you and you are not just an automaton going through your day and you know mm -hmm. driving to work driving back to work you know punching time clocks and doing all that <laughs> wonderful stuff <laughs> and, it's, and uh, again that, sorry Karen. oh no go right ahead no and it's just funny like all those things are just a simulation you know like doing these things perpetually because you believe that that's what you should do and and it always comes, and it always makes me laugh, you know, when people turn 18 in the United Kingdom, they go, that's it, I'm going out for a pint of beer. I was like, why? I'm 18. And? Like, why is that your goal? And it's, it, we have these things, these simulations that are thrust upon us from a societal point of view that say you should do these things. And, and it gets, it just eats away at the creativity. But getting back just to what you said about the consciousness and the separate, separate part of it, and the interesting thing about consciousness is that it exists between vibration and energy, which means that you can't touch it, can't feel it, you can't look at it and study it, you just know it because you, you are it. And, um, and that, that raw sense of, of consciousness is pure creativity because when you dream, uh, when you go to sleep at night, uh, your mind wanders into the realms of creativity because that's what that's what you're experiencing in your dreams and that that is is consciousness because it lives outside of the realms of vibration and, and outside of the realms of energy because time is distorted um you you know your senses are still alert but not physically you know where are you when you dream those kind of questions but that's why i always say that consciousness is raw pure um, creativity and i love how you define intelligence in the book as well and through you know the philosophies of the church you define it as as intellectual curiosity really as a continued desire to learn and also to unlearn what you've learned yeah that comes from the fact that a lot of people think that you know you have to be you have to have six degrees from Harvard and stuff to be super clever, but that doesn't mean anything. It just means that you're a good tape recorder. But you know, in, in the essence of of curiosity, that that shows intelligence and being and any and everybody's intelligent. They just they just don't know it. You know, that's another thing. Anybody can do anything they want to. They just have to find their relationship with it to say, oh God, of course I can do that. And um and and the uh, in learning things you've learned because again we learn that uh, the ego takes over and we learn that we, sh we should do these things and we should do that and we should do this. Nobody needs to do any of that stuff. You know what I mean? The, it, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy the amount of, I know I could talk about it for hours, obviously I've written a book on it, but I mean like the, <laughs> the, the, the statues and, and, and codes of conduct that are thrust upon us and put in place to make us think to believe that that is who you are. You know, I sit there, it's amazing. I see, I always often think when I'm, I'm looking at traffic and cars moving, there, there's, there's no, 
there's no um, magical police on the road that are going to come up out of the the ground and smack you in the face if you don't put your um, indicator light on or if you don't stop at a stoplight. You know, there's no there's you, you can do whatever you want, but everyone follows these rules, these roads. You know, you're traveling down the highway. Yes, every like I don't know six miles or something, you may see a police officer, or every hundred miles you see a police officer. But in other words, you know, one police officer versus what ten thousand cars. I think you know these cars are just following this line and doing this thing because we've been programmed to do these patterns, and it, and it, it always amazes me. I think goodness me, like people following, they're making their own prisons in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I want to take advantage of your time too to ask you about the optimism of the church of jediism and specifically in terms of the dark side of the force because there is an acknowledgement uh, that there is a dark side of course and mm. being an optimistic religion which is absolutely where you would want it to be who wants to be a part of a pessimistic religion um, <laughs> <laughs> but how do you uh, reconcile the notion of the dark side of the force and you know even the idea of bringing balance to the force well you have to acknowledge it because it's there and it has to be there because you're there so it's kind of like um you know night and day you know you couldn't have day without night because it is the same thing and um it's kind of like you know a lot of people get uh, in the west especially we have this um, taboo around death because we see it such a negative but it's just as important as being born you know so but and it's the same it's the same process you get born into this reality and then you you exit this reality and they're both they're, they're almost they're almost um they're almost the same thing but obviously they're parallel because one is one is death and one is life but and that is the light and the dark that we have this separation within our reality that we have to understand and so being uh, yes, a, a, an optimistic religious movement or a philosophical movement, um, you know, everything's great and, 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 and fine, but we have to understand there are evil. There, there's evil, always evil, but you have to know where it is, spot it, and, and do what you need to do to, to, to quench evil where, where it shows its awful head. And, you know, this is a vast subject and it's hard to just describe in a very short podcast, but I mean... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a... Um, it's the how can evil has to be there so I can do what I'm doing. You know what I mean. So if we, it, if you, uh, how can I explain it? If we, if we didn't, if there was no such thing as evil, if we didn't acknowledge evil, then what on earth are we doing? What, why are we practicing light? Because we'd already just be light, wouldn't we? We'd just be, everyone would be happy and Larry, and we'd all be great, and we'd all be moving on, and we'd all be philosophical, spiritual beings. But the fact that we're trying to achieve those goals shows that we haven't achieved those goals, and the reason is negative reason. You know what I mean? So we yes. have to acknowledge the fact that it, it's there. It's, it's apparent. It, it's, it's thrust upon us. Like you have a right and a left hand. You just have to know that it's there. You, it's difficult. It's very difficult to, to explain um, <laughs> in one. Maybe I should do a talk on this. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I should. I get but the idea, though. I mean, it's it's one defines the other in a sense. I mean, you can't, you know, you it, it would be utterly undifferentiated, as as you were saying, that, you know, we would all be enlightened philosophical beings and everything would be fine. It would be a complete utopia. But how would you necessarily understand that without understanding what, you know, the negative or what the comparative it, it, is to not well, exactly. necessarily put a judgment on it, I guess? I mean, I, I mean I, and that's why people think that you can't reach utopian societies, because... If you reach utopian society, because um, whatever you can't ever reach the state of perfect, whatever gets to perfect will just decline, and that's what they—that's the uh, the weird kind of um, paradoxical theory that that comes along with utopia. Because if you were in utopia, 
then you wouldn't exist um, because it, 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 it wouldn't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you always have to have that and it would just be, impl- you know, there'd be an implosion. Instantly, you would have nothing and, and everything would go back to zero, infinite consciousness and just, I don't know, pools of energy spinning around the, the cosmos. So you wouldn't have anything. And I think that's fascinating. So as much as evil is a horrible thing, but we need it to, to survive, it's, 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 it's so bizarre, this whole concept, but it's a fascinating subject. We should have opened with that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that just means that if we want everything to be perfect, we have to go back to the Big Bang, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I suppose, but it's learning to dance in the rain, you know. I think that's it. It's not mm-hmm. about It's not about saying um, the whole world is going to be the most amazing thing ever. It can be. It can be the most amazing thing ever, but we have to always not be delusional to think, okay, we can be as good as we can be, but there will always be evil that will show itself. And we have to be prepared prepared for that evil. It'll, you know, it's it's never going to, it'll never go away, but we just have to learn to deal with it. To learn to dance in the rain or embracing what you can't ignore. You know, that's a very important thing to say. Live the best life that we can. And uh, with the serenity prayer, at least in uh, in the Christian culture of, of God grant me the uh, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the um, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to yep. know the difference. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if you if you can, yeah, if you can be the best you can be, that's all anyone can ask of you. You know, it's all you can ask of yourself. Um, and it's and that choice is up to you. You know, we all have choices, and I'm just trying to help guide people in a way where their choices will be positive choices. And so now that you're celebrating a tenth anniversary of the Church of Jediism, what are your big plans for the next for the next decade of the church you know i i haven't i've been so busy <laughs> putting the book together i haven't even thought about it i mean well yes and no i mean i'd love to i'd love to have like a maybe like a, a jedi center somewhere maybe in the u.s maybe in, in london or so, i don't know just somewhere cool like a like a building people can go and learn things and do fun stuff and it would be kind of star warsy sci-fi but you know philosophical i don't know i think that it would be really cool to have like some kind of center where people can come and visit and do some fun stuff learn some history you know read books or whatever um that's kind of a cool big big plan i mean that's maybe 20 years plan you know you never know mm-hmm. uh but for me it's it's getting this we've got a website launching on uh, publication week um so it's in around the same day as the book comes out and the website's just you know it's gonna be amazing to have a website that's really high quality it's community-based it's um building training online um and we are we've got a bunch we've got about 14 uh trainers which are people professionals all across the the globe who are um professionals in their field of things like lloyd arabach who's like a famous mentalist or a psychologist and he can he teaches stuff like PK and things like that. And so we've got all these these fascinating people who will be teaching um, courses on our website for people who want to learn more after the book kind of thing. And so that's that's amazing. I'd love to see that grow and have more and more different trainers on there so people could just really experience all kinds of crazy manner of um, you know mystical stuff that they'd never even dreamed of. You know, I think that'd be so awesome. And the website, I believe, where this is all going to be at is becometheforce.com. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah, uh, becometheforce.com is the, uh, is the website. It's actually the churchofjediism.org, but it's just a domain name that we've put with the book so that we can, so people won't get confused if they're trying to find Become the Force because that's the name of the book. So, yeah, becometheforce.com, 
Uh, it's going to be really, really good. And I, I've already, I mean, I've been working with the team on building the site, and it just looks amazing. And I'm so like, I'm so excited to have it out. You know, that's fantastic. Congratulations on that, and we're okay. really looking forward to seeing how it comes out. I'm recording this for everybody listening with Daniel on October 26th. So <laughs> some of this is still in the future. It's it's odd to be living in uh, multiple different places in time in that way. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> And I have to ask you as a fan, and also it relates to the Church of Jediism in a way, uh, I presume that you have seen the trailers for The Last Jedi. Would I be correct in that assessment? You are correct, yes. So when you hear Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker deliver a line where he says, all I know is one truth, it's time for the Jedi to end, do you have a moment in your head going, I've got this church, and now he's saying it has to end? (laughs) No, because... Uh, I don't think it's the end of the Jedi. I think what he's trying to say is it's time for the Jedi to end, etc. Something, you know, the time for the Jedi to end the suppression or the end the dark side. So I think he's. Um, I, I think we're getting a sneaky glimpse of uh, of Disney's um, clickbait, if you like, uh, ah. into wanting to go and see it. And that's my honest opinion. I did it. I was on Radio Five Live the day. Uh, the, uh, the the trailer went out and we were talking about it and they asked the same question and I said look they're just you know they're, they're, they're spinning us one so we can go oh we have to go and see this movie oh, it's going to be the last time we see it yet. but mm-hmm. I don't I don't think so I mean I could be completely wrong here because I don't work with Disney but you know yeah. they, I could be completely wrong and I'm going off in chat but I, I think I mean you think about it this way logically Disney want to milk the heck out of Star Wars because it's their franchise. It's a big, big earner for Disney. So Disney want to make as much movies, as much TV shows, as much merch as possible. And the biggest seller in Star Wars is the Jedi because that, you know it's it, that's what the lightsabers and the whole you know flying about and magical powers and stuff. All that stuff is super cool and it's a huge selling point. It'd be idiots to get rid of it. <laughs> and I like your take on that idea. I haven't heard that one quite honestly, so I think that's very cool and. Heck, we may end up expounding upon that in a later podcast. So yeah, I definitely. I think maybe we should do a we should do another show after the movies out. Maybe like uh, you know in December or early January, we'll do another show, and then we'll be like, ah, oh, I was wrong, or hey, I was back on the money. And yeah. I, I think that's the thing. People may actually because I've said this in every interview I've done when they ask the same question. So people might, if I am really close or or exactly on point, people are going to be like, hey, he's working with Disney. This is like, you know he didn't just guess. So I'm hoping that maybe I'm 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 right, but. Oh, oh, only slightly so that I don't look too much like I'm uh, working for Disney on the slide. <laughs> I think we're all sort of in the space of how, you know, Lando was operating Cloud City as a small operation and trying to stay under the radar so that way the Empire doesn't come after us and shut us down. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it, yeah. Um, especially with things like uh, Disney, the evil Empire. Oh, I mean, and they're... I I know it's easy to classify them that way, certainly, and I definitely don't want it to come across that way because they've been, thankfully, since they've taken over, they've been just as good as far as I know to the fan base and has been you know as tolerant of people doing things around Star Wars as Lucasfilm ever was when they were operating as their own company. At least that's been my experience. I've never had anybody saying, well, you're using Star Wars in the name of your podcast. You, you've got to stop that or anything like that. And, um, and I'm in touch from time to time with people at Lucasfilm. Like, they're aware of the podcast. So, I, you know, no lawyers have come knocking on my door, which I've been very grateful about. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. You know, I mean, yeah, from a fan point of view, they've done an exceptional job of keeping it. I mean, and even they did a better job than Lucas, to be honest with you, because they kept real environments. They really built robots and built sets. It wasn't all green screen, and I loved that. So I think Disney's done a fantastic job of keeping it very authentically Star Wars. And I'm not talking about those three in the between, you know, but I'm talking about the original 77 to 80, whatever. But uh, in terms of um, legal stuff, yeah, we, we did consult with them. Uh, writing the book, we had to obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we were completely legally covered there, and they were they were cool about it. I mean, they weren't over enthusiastic about it, but they were cool. Um, they, you know, they didn't do anything to help. Um, they just kind of told us, you know, don't step on this landmine, uh, and mm-hmm. that's basically it, you know. Um, but you know, I, and this is a weird thing. I've never. I've never communicated with Lucasfilm uh, d- directly. I've never spoken to Lucas. And, you know, I did a Time Magazine interview and stuff. And, and I've never, you know, I've been on TV all around the world. And the weirdest thing, and everyone always asks us, they say, like, do you know George Lucas? I've never met the guy. I don't, I've never spoken to him. How weird is this? That, like, <laughs> I've written this bizarrely um, Star Warsy thing, and I've never met him. You know, I know people who've met him for smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, like, oh, I, I sculpted this action figure of you. And he's like, oh, that's cool. But I was like, hey, this guy's made a religion out of your film. <laughs> like, I've never met him. I was like, jeez. So maybe one day. Hopefully so. I think that deserves some sort of reaction from him, I would certainly hope. Well, maybe. I mean, like, I've, I'm doing, I don't know. I think the only time I'm going to run into him is if I'm at, like, a, a con or something. So I'm doing London, um, MCM London Comic Con this weekend, doing a panel talk there. Uh, and I did some, t- I did a TV show with Warwick Davis. So, like, we did, we did some stuff in my house. And, like, I mean, so I've met some Star Wars characters and stuff, and I'm friends with some of the actors, but, like, it's just weird. Like, I've never come across Lucas, and I I, I just, yeah, I find it really bizarre. And the whole 10 years, I've never come across Lucas. Bizarre. <laughs> I bizarre. hope it does happen for you. I really do. Yeah, maybe. Maybe one day. I'm not really too bothered if I did in any way. I think maybe it's cool keeping the mystery, and it's, got some, it's a talking point anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Daniel Jones, author of Become the Force, Nine Lessons on How to Live as a Jediist Master, the website becometheforce.com and thechurchofjediism.org. Any other places that people should be looking for you online? Uh, yeah, we've got, a super, um, we've got a super active Facebook page, um, just facebook.com forward slash the Church of Jediism. Um, and I'm also, I'm a YouTuber, so if you guys are interested in uh, watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, you can always check me out at uh, youtube.com forward slash the Aspie world, A-S-P-I-E world. Um, so you can check me out. Like I said, I'm, I'm quite, uh, I do a lot with YouTube actually. And and, I, and the book's launch party is actually in the YouTube space in London. So there'll be uh, a lot of good live streaming, good content going on for that. That's excellent, and I will link to all of those websites and resources in the show notes at the blog post for this show's episode at sw7x7.com. Daniel, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to talk with me. I really appreciate it. More, you're more than welcome. It was really, really nice to come on the show. Hey, Rebel Rouser. The Last Jedi is coming out in theaters in December, and so it's time for you to brush up on your knowledge of The Force Awakens. Luckily, I've got the thing for you. It's the unofficial Star Wars The Force Awakens trivia book. It's available on Amazon right now. Just go to sw7x7.com TFA to get right there. And inside, you'll find more than 501 galaxy-spanning questions and answers about The Force Awakens. Again, it's the unofficial Star Wars The Force Awakens trivia book, sw7x7.com slash tfa welcome back i hope you enjoyed the interview and there's more to come at least about become the force because on tomorrow's episode i'm going to be interviewing Teresa chung who is the woman who actually interviewed daniel himself to help make this book a reality so stay tuned for that 
In the meantime, thank you very much for listening, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you take on Count Dooku all by yourself, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'll be able to do even more with the show for you with your support at patreon.com slash SW7x7. It's not a crazy spinning alien of unknown origin, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2017, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.